One of the parts about being a therapist that I'm most grateful for is the opportunity that I get on a daily basis for people to share their stories with me. I feel so privileged to be able to witness others' journeys and I find it such a meaningful interaction where we get to think about their experiences together and try to gain better understanding while at the same time learning so much about life as a human and about myself. My hope with this podcast is to be able to share a glimpse of that with you the listeners by sharing these once-off discussions between me and a random stranger who I have not seen for individual therapy before. The goal is not to have a super once-off session where we identify solutions to all of their problems and we fix everything magically in an hour, but it's rather to bounce off ideas and for me to try and help them to identify how and where to begin or to continue with their own mental health journey. These recordings will be shared anonymously and any identifying details regarding the client has been removed. I hope that this helps you in some way. So let's maybe just start with the topic that you want to discuss. Tell me a bit about that. Tell me about what you would like to get out of the session. Um, we'll, we'll revert back to that as we go, but um, let's maybe start with that. Okay, cool. Um, so uh, what I would like to get out of this is maybe some tools uh, to help me uh, better manage my uh my life, uh, I suffer from, and I've been diagnosed at a, quite a young age with ADHD. Mm-hmm. Um, I have in my, uh, I actually started pre-adolescence, uh, started with drug use. I have now uh, been sober for a substantial amount of time. And uh, I found myself not having the tools to cope with uh, life. <laughs> you know, um, I struggle with uh really like general stuff like timekeeping like uh emotional regulation um uh keeping track of the day uh finishing uh, starting tasks finishing tasks uh and all this is causing quite a lot of turmoil emotional turmoil for me uh, yeah and it's um it's starting to affect my sobriety uh, luckily i still have that intact mm-hmm. but it's be- becoming more and more difficult for me to uh, abstain mm-hmm. What drugs is it that you've been using previously? Um, so I, um, before my last uh, rehab, uh, I was like basically doing anything I can get my hands on, uh, mostly crack. Uh, after uh, after that, it was mostly uh, amphetamines. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it helps me focus, helps me uh, deliver. Mm. but uh, other things fall to the wayside you know um tell me a bit more about your um just the history with adhd that being diagnosed and the treatment that you've received for that cool um i was diagnosed at uh, 11 if i remember correctly uh i was then placed on ritalin um i i was on the ritalin until uh if my mom can correct me, but I think it was 17, mm-hmm. uh, 17. Then I, uh, it just, it's, it stopped working more or less, but I attribute that to my, uh, to the drug use. You know, it's, I think maybe they counteracted each other and partying and drinking, you know, uh, medications tend to not work as well. Yeah. <laughs> you do these types of things. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I was also in rehab. They diagnosed me with uh, depression. Uh, they did prescribe me Zoloft. Mm. Um, I did not follow the prescription. I did not um, take any antidepressants. I have not taken any antidepressants subsequent. Um, mm -hmm. I believe there are like, better ways to do it. Well, I believe some people might need it, but I think I, I'm not that bad. I just need tools to help manage. Hmm. And tell me a bit about your experience in, in rehab. What's the, the coping mechanisms and uh, maybe the strategies that you've been following to be sober for? You said more than a year now. Yes, ma'am. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so uh, luckily, I was lucky enough to be in a rehab that was pro 12-step. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, so I followed the 12. I did my 12 steps um, in, in rehab. Um, then redid my 12 steps uh, in uh, aftercare, uh, outpatient, yes. and found a sponsor, uh, started doing steps again. Um, but I sort of stopped going to meetings. Um, so uh, it's really difficult for me to find uh, a group when traveling around. And it's, it's, it's not the same when you're not with your home group. Yeah. And and the online groups is that something that you've tried at all? I have, I have, um, I have nothing bad to say. It just it didn't stick with me. Um, yeah. It didn't grab me. Um, I mm. felt more attunement with the in person sharing. Mm. Yes, of course, of course. Like I'm wondering, tell me a bit about you having ADHD as a child, and just what kind of child you would describe yourself as. What it was like. Um, I was very busy. As a child, um, I I, yeah, I found it like things would distract me very easily. You know, I'd be busy with one thing and then I'd run over to the next thing. Uh, my mom described me as a hooligan. Um, <laughs> I'd answer my pants, could never sit still. Um, I think teachers said, uh, well, the teachers believed that me to be gifted, but um, lacked the attention span and focus and drive to actually perform. Um, I've sort of found my father uh, was a traveling musician uh, when he met my mother so that's always been in our family and I sort of found like peace in music being a musician now um, after hours uh, that seems to be the only thing that really like grasps me um, even just listening to music is the only thing that grounds me mm. um, but even now uh, at work I'm struggling at work to just stay focused on one thing. I find my 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 mind my mind wandering. Um, I lose track of tasks. Um, I lose track of time of day. Even uh, it's it's, and it's always been like that for me. Yeah. Really, uh, I found myself <clears throat> to with very little effort uh, perform very well academically. Yeah. Uh, but I could never sit down and study. For instance, um, I always found that. Uh, studying through the night like just packing through the night uh how was the most effective um, and still to this day if i need to study or i need to like learn a new program or uh, quickly uh, figure out how a product works um, i can do that quickly efficiently hyper focus um, get it done properly uh, but after that after maybe an hour two hours uh i'm i'm a vegetable <laughs> anything anything will distract me but so what would you say is your motivation like in general? Uh, now, currently, 
I was not really motivated. Mm. Um, yeah, at all. Uh, I used to be quite set. I had certain goals. I had certain uh, ideals, uh, ideal life that I would uh, that I wanted to live. Um, but currently, not quite motivated. <laughs> Mm. but motivated to find a better solution like motivated to like just be better mm. Mm. i guess though that that you get to a point where you are desperate to just want to function better yet maybe struggling with motivation and drive to actually complete tasks or to to follow through with things that you're trying to do yes yes 100 tell me a bit about you mentioned also in in the application that you did something around wanting to be able to have or be diff a, a different kind of partner in relationships. How is all of this yeah. affect relationships? Yeah. Um, so it, it was mostly like the drug use and I find the, the drug use is in, is, is a quick fix. Like it's an easy route like to get things done. Um, when my son was my son was born in uh, the second week of hard lockdown, uh, and when we took him home, things were great at home um, until we were we were able to work again. Um, my ex did not heal well from the cesarean, uh, so it was all up to me. I she was bedridden for about three months. Uh, there were massive complications, so I had to basically like sort him out, sort her out. Uh, and then when work started, I had to sort my work out and I then, I couldn't cope. Uh, I fell to drugs again. Um, and that's what caused the end of our relationship. Um, now I see my son, I see my son once a week. Uh, well, I try to, um, but that also like the, I feel the relationship with my son deteriorating because of my lack of motivation. I find it, uh, it's just easier to stay away and mm. like not get involved than to do anything else. Um, and that causes me more emotional turmoil, which wants me to like pick up again, even more. Uh, it's like, oh, like this really sick snowball of yes. shit. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it is a cycle and it's the cycle that just maintains itself where you are already not feeling good then isolating yourself or maybe withdrawing and then feeling even worse. And, yeah. and I can imagine how that just escalates. Um, what has yeah, it been yeah. like for you becoming a father? Okay, so a little background. I do have another child. Um, I have not seen him at all. I think this weighs quite heavily on me. Um, but the circumstances of our separation were such that um, I found it was better for me just to remove myself from this situation. Um, when my boy was born, um, Blythe, I get all set in. The doctor actually pulled me behind the curtain um, while like, busy with the cesarean. And uh, he said, look, this child will never have been born normally. And I saw like my child inside like my ex. Uh, and when I actually could hold him and uh, it, it was this visceral experience. Mm. Um, he is, he is my everything. And it, it really, it shames me and pains me to not be there. You know, and it's shame. And it's all because of choices that I made. Mm. 
you know, and stuff that I did. I can't falter on anything really. Um, but it's it's great. The the light he brings to my life is like yeah. indescribable. And he makes me want to be a better person so I could be a better person for him. Mm. I don't think if he was around, I would have taken the step to even contact you. Mm. Mm. I think kids give us a lot of motivation and and reason to really want to like heal ourselves and, and find the courage to face things that are truly overwhelming. Um, and so I'm glad that you have that. I'm glad that you have something that can be that why for you but that that brings me to the question of I'm wondering about what your relationship with yourself has been like tell me a bit more about that um so I found out in outpatient um that I don't really have uh, high self-esteem um like all the time mm. um if you say you found I've... that out tell me more <laughs> were you not aware of this no 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 um i i introspection was something very new to me that i found in in outpatients and in rehab um mm. i've always find myself living a very fast-paced life um and just to do that introspection i remember vividly sitting in um in my life coaches like in the chair and uh he said to me like you you have intrinsic worth and it, it just like i broke down crying um, i still do it still like chokes me up because I, I don't really feel that way about myself right um i'm more of a service kind of person like uh I, I like to be of service to other people. That's how I feel my worth. And when I can't be it, or when I'm not, um, I don't feel that I contribute much. Mm. Mm. I'm wondering um, what you feel has been your belief in terms of what gives someone value and worth as a person. I firmly believe that other people have intrinsic worth and i firmly believe that all life is precious and none should be taken for granted um but i also feel that you as a person you need to take responsibility for your own actions um you at the end of the day you need to lie in your own bed uh, with your own thoughts and know what you did that day you know your own step 10 mm -hmm. and you need to weigh it up uh to use the Egyptian adage that is weigh your heart against a feather. Like, are you, do you feel heavy? And I guess I've always felt heavy. Mm. Yeah. Are you aware of what are some of the, the roots of that heaviness? No, I have not delved into that. It, it, that scares me. Um, that makes me really nervous. Um, and I haven't had the opportunity to... Um, even look at that mm. well i think it's, it's understandable you've been in rehab and and obviously everything in rehab is geared towards just getting you sober and and maintaining that sobriety and and probably even like the the outpatient care 
it's just that maintenance of that and and there's when you are always in a crisis there's not necessarily room for you to really explore the the stuff that's like deeper rooted i'm asking you about these things because there's a lot of different um approaches that people would take uh to to treat like addiction or adhd and mostly honestly adhd is treated by psychiatrists um because it's treated medically um or with medication mostly however there's also a lot of research there's this this guy and i'll actually maybe share some of his stuff with you that i really um i love his work his name is gabor mate and he speaks a lot about um how adhd and actually to some extent um addiction is linked to trauma and emotional trauma and so there's more and more research that's done that's saying it's not just like a lot of people will say when you have adhd it's your brain that just functions differently and that's why you need medication but your your brain a lot of times starts to function differently because of the if you are in a high stress environment for example when you're a young child when there's a lot of emotional trauma or distress, um, basically like your body being in a fight or flight mode for whatever reason, that oh, I constant... think I've heard of this. Uh, sorry, mm. I think I've heard of this. Um, you're in fight or flight, and when you can't fight or flight, uh, what do you do? You you get agitated, do you get distracted, or uh, you mm. start fidgeting, mm. and that's sort of that sets in right, and it becomes cemented. Yeah. So, so it becomes a way for your brain to to function in order to cope with the trauma or distress that you are constantly exposed to, and and even if we think about substances, substances is a, is often a way for us to numb our feelings. It's a way to escape. It's often almost a way to just self medicate trauma that can be really overwhelming to to face in in other areas of your life, and so. There's so much shame that comes with and a lot of guilt that comes with, for example, um, addiction. And, and I get that. And I think it's really important. Guilt can also be useful because it helps us to take responsibility. But I wonder if in that process, it also doesn't leave a lot of room for empathy for yourself and to really take the time to understand what led to me functioning in this way, like what trauma did I maybe experience and it's just a it's one hypothesis um that they often investigate so it's not saying you must have a trauma but um and, and trauma is is a lot of different things trauma is not just necessarily um i want to say the big t traumas that we kind of would usually reference to that someone passed away or there was like a um, armed robbery or something like that trauma can be um and how you are relating to your primary caregivers and sense of not feeling safe emotionally or being exposed to a lot of conflict in the home environment or even just parents who struggle emotionally themselves. Um, yeah, yeah there's a whole host of things. So I'm, I'm wondering if there's anything that comes to mind for you. Uh, it was my father being a traveling musician. Um it was and not having like a stable job like a normal nine to five like other people would have um money was always like 
my parents would always like fight about money. Yeah. Um, and my mom also like having grown up uh, quite a sickly child. Um, I don't think she, look, wait, let me first say my mom and my dad did the best they could with me. I was not an easy child. Um, they only had the tools that they had. Um, but my mom is a very snappy person. Um, I find all of us being, um, how do I put this, hyper attuned to her emotions um, because the slightest thing could set her off, right? Um, I got always on the back foot when my mom's around. Uh, and subsequently, me and my mom don't have a very good relationship. Um, I try, and then she tries, but I found it better for my sobriety to not um, see her often, right? Um, he got broken into, uh, like, I believe it was seven times in four years of the seven times, uh, two of them were uh like hijacking like at gunpoint sure. uh i remember I one day coming you know, i remember coming back from uh the public pool one day and there was blood all over the house where they broke in and the glass cut whoever broke in um i remember one night they threw a rock through the window uh and my baby sister was in the bed next to my mom and the rock almost hit my sister in the head uh, I remember they trying to break in one night and my mom taking out the gun and firing shots off in the house, like into the ceiling, trying to scare these people off. Mm. Um, that was all uh, quite uh, tumultuous. <laughs> mm. um, but still, like uh, my fondest memories are, if I look back in my life, my fondest memories are of then um, mm. when we moved to Gauteng, uh, it was... Again, a very visceral thing for me. I, we moved in like in the middle of April, so and everything was yellow, and there's no trees, there's no ocean, there's no, it's so freaking cold. Uh, how do people live in this cold? Um, the kids were mean and nasty, and uh, it just like I felt like it was, since we moved here, um, it hasn't been pleasant. Like I don't have any pleasant memories. Mm -hmm. Tell me a bit more just about this narrative of I was I wasn't an easy child. Um, um well that's what my mom always says, like uh, what my mom has always said to everyone since I can remember uh, me not being an easy child. She would always bring up stuff like um uh in my walker, uh, I would run around in my walker like a crazy person, and then uh, I would climb up the safety gates out of my walker. Or I would manage to get a grip on the curtains and then literally like uh, rope climb up the curtains. I can't walk it, but rope climb up the curtains and um, just being busy and active and all the time. She had to worry about where I am all the time uh, because I would just like go off and do whatever else. Uh, I remember I had a leash that I had to put on when we went to the malls. I don't know if you remember those from back in the day. Yes, yes. Yeah. That was a lot of fun for me because I would run around like just trip strangers. <laughs> so that died quickly. Mm. Um, yeah, my mom always said I was an, an, an easy child. I was a difficult child. My sister and my uh, my two sisters and my brother were uh, angels. Jesus. I think so. It's interesting that they were all angels. Um, 
and and I think like it's it's so important and and that maybe might be my recommendation for you to be something that you kind of find a way to work on whether that's by yourself whether that's maybe seeing a therapist like I know seeing a therapist is also not always accessible to everyone um so you can definitely start working on this by yourself but I think it's really important to spend a lot of time just first of all starting to listen to what your internal conversations sound like um there's this this quote that says that the way that we speak to our kids become their inner voice and so it's not just about what your mom and your dad would have told you but just what your environment the messages that you got from your environment would be the beliefs that you've internalized about yourself and so I'm 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 wondering about if we use this example of you were you weren't an easy child if that's the narrative of maybe a bit of what you carry internally with you is um I'm a lot for other people it's a it's a inconvenience or it's too much other people can't handle me my feelings are not like there's no room for me and what what oh, I hear definitely. if you if you describe this little boy running around like climbing up the the curtains, you were a high energy child, but it also seems like you were maybe desperately just seeking connection. And instead, you are you received this message of, like, but this is not okay that I need this, where you were actually wanting something that's that's very human and that's very normal and probably very appropriate for a child of your age um, at that time. But ultimately all that we want all the time is we are seeking connection with other people and we'll try and achieve that through various ways by even being attuned to our parents' emotions and almost like what they would need from us in order to be able to give us a bit more um, so to me, it seems like there might be there might be some inner child stuff that that's useful for you to try and identify and see how much of that you can rewrite that narrative for yourself. Uh, NLP, right? Neuro linguistic programming. The more you say something to yourself, the more you start to believe it, the more it starts forming part of your frame of reference, right? Well, to to have a very big extent yes I'm not I'm not very um clued up with NLP so NLP would would probably be focusing a lot more on where you are at at this point and what it is that you are saying to yourself um which would be really helpful already but I think I'm I'm just thinking even about like really looking at your life and your life story and first, just starting with having empathy for yourself and going, wow, this is actually what I've experienced. This is actually um, things that I had to deal with uh, that probably had an impact on me. And there's always this disclaimer because it's not about saying that your parents were bad parents at all. But I think it's very useful for us to identify and understand maybe the impact that it's had on you having to be very attuned to your mom's emotions, for example, and, and maybe not having her being that available to you, uh, almost like you are too much for me. So just get out of my way or, or. Oh stop. yeah. Yeah. 
definitely. Um, my mom would. I, I remember uh, sleeping next to my mom in the bed, and my mom just. I, I don't know. Can we swear? <laughs> my yes. mom would say, "Just go fucking toss somewhere else." And and I would I would was literally like busy sleeping. Um, uh, there's like what, a lot of what you're saying is like ringing true for me. Um, especially when it comes to my mom and because uh, then like my dad would say I was the most loving of all the kids. Like I would just run up and like just give you a hug or just want to be with you um, all the time. Uh, but my mom has a completely different recollection of things. Uh, and I guess that's why me and my dad have a, we have a very strong relationship even now. Uh, yeah. You know, we share music, we share, uh, we run a business together. Um, uh, my dad is, I can't, I can't tell you he's my best friend because I respect him too much to treat him as a friend. Uh, but he's very near and dear to me and he's become very near and dear to me. And I used to um, chastise him a lot for not being available when I was in my teens because he got a good job working at a very prominent uh, company, uh, but that comes with certain you know, expectations from the company side and he was not available often. But when he was available, he was 100% available. Yeah. So yeah, sorry, it, a lot of that does ring true. Mm -hmm. And how does it make you feel if you think about your younger self? Like what's the emotion that that brings for you? Sad, I guess. Um, sad and angry. Like very angry. I, I feel angry. Um, I don't know where that's based, but yeah, just sad and angry. Yeah. Um, I I was at some at one point uh, diagnosed with. Um, bipolar aggression but uh i i think it i wasn't completely honest with the person who diagnosed me and i think i was coming down off of drugs and i had a lot of violent outbursts uh, throughout my teens um and i attribute that to the drugs but i do tend to have uh, a short fuse like i can uh, fly off the handle pretty quickly that's what i said in my write-up like just some emotional regulation would be great uh, because I always feel like I'm sitting with the repercussions of my behavior uh, yeah. permanently. Yeah. Uh, it feels like I know what the right thing to do is, but I can never seem to do it at the right time. You yeah. Know what I'm saying? yeah. What does lashing out look like? Tell me a bit about the the aggression or the extent of your violent outbursts. So uh, when I was deep in my drug usage, uh, it got to be quite, like, I would have like anger blackouts. I think it would be the best way to describe them. Um, like I would not have any recollect recollection of the, what happened over that 20 minutes, um, but I would become violently angry. Like um, uh, I think I even shoved my mom down some stairs um uh I beat up on people uh, I remember and as a teen uh going to bars just to pick fights you know um because I was just so angry um now uh I've I've sort of learned to like just suppress it 
like just keep it down and remove myself from the situation um, and either go sit in the car or go somewhere else to have a cigarette even if I have to shout like out into the void uh, just to get it out so I can breathe and then re-enter the situation uh, sometimes it, uh, life doesn't allow for that um, uh, and I can be uh, quite snappy uh, and I don't know why my brain does it, but I, I will pick the thing that I, I don't know, innately know uh, would hurt you the most. Yeah. Uh, and then and go for that, like go straight for the jugular. And that's also what caused a lot of turmoil between me and my ex. Because um, yeah. like life throws shit at you. Uh, and then when it became too much, like, it would snap. Yeah. Um, and I don't, I'm happy I'm not in that environment anymore because I don't want to expose my son to that. He has not seen any of that at all whatsoever. But I don't want to be in the position where I do that to my son. I think it's it's a very um, common defense mechanism that, that people resort to. And, and that's often also based on maybe what we were exposed to, what our blueprint is regarding relationships and emotions and conflict and this kind of thing but um it it feels like it's easier to reject that person before they can reject you and so if I put everything that's that feels bad inside of me on you then somehow it feels like it's I'm able to tolerate a bit more who I am or I can feel like I have value and worth it's this feeling of but if there's anything negative inside of me then I can't tolerate that and and then that means I am bad as a person or as a whole so I think um I sorry it just needs to stop you there um maybe back then um now uh I feel more uh like I'm permanently like I I need to carry this to, to use the Christian metaphor I need to carry my cross like yeah. I need to, like an act of attrition, uh, I, and there's no, I've dealt so much damage, like there's so much left in the wake of my past yeah. that um, I need to make good on it first before I can feel better about myself. I need to, um, I need to prove to people and I guess to myself, okay, it's okay now, you can let it go now. Um but I don't feel like I am there yet. But can you Sorry. see how, how damaging that can potentially be for your psyche and for just like your, your emotional functioning? Um, I guess, but what other way is there like to its own, like to make good? Uh, like it starts I think with you. I know it, it definitely starts with you and I agree with you a hundred percent and maybe this goes against almost it, it it might feel like what I'm saying is going against the principles of like the 12 steps and the AA which I think it's it's very important to feel like I'm I'm making amends I'm repairing the damage that I've done I'm wondering though if there's any way to do that in a way that's gentle and kinder with yourself, because I don't know how effective it is to be trying to do that. But at the same time, you are bullying yourself 
maybe to a large extent about like I'm beating myself up about these things that I've done. And that becomes the way that I, I believe I motivate myself to make amends. But I don't know if that is really the case or if that's necessarily something that, that in the long run is healthy for you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, it's starting to feel heavy. Like this, this, what I'm carrying is starting, it's really starting to feel heavy. It's really starting to weigh on me. Um, and honestly, I would, I would like to feel better. <laughs> I would like, I would like to be happier. Um, I just, I, I have no, I have no tools. I have no, I have nothing like, to fall back on yeah. <laughs> other than, other than this. And I just have to reiterate, um, part of the 12 step program is to make amends, uh, wherever you can. Um, of course, mm. but I don't think I've gotten that far, like, um, uh, to even like see these people, places and things. Mm. Um, it's, it's easier to. I guess it's easier to carry the weight than to than to do the job mm. when it when it comes to that. Um, but I'm really I'm really struggling. <laughs> mm. I'm, I'm I'm struggling to carry all of this. Mm. It's it's been a while in the making. Um, there was a point earlier in the year where um, I met someone, and I I know deep inside that uh, I can't enter into this, and I subsequently called it off. Um, like I ghosted, but I knew that I couldn't go on with this relationship while carrying this. Uh, it's not fair on this person. Uh, it was an amazing, uh, completely mature and uh, self-aware person. It would just be a farce and it would not be fair uh, on on them. And I tried to like, delve a bit deeper, um, but it, it just it came with a lot of hurt. Thinking back, I guess that's also why I, uh, I fall to drugs because it, as you said, it numbs you, and uh, it, there's there's a lot of hurt, and I didn't want to deal. I don't want to deal with it. Didn't want to deal with it, but I see that I have to. Right. I think you do, and I think you like there's there's so much pain and hurt that's hidden underneath maybe all of this anger, and of course. A lot of that was also induced by the substances that you use. But I think regardless, there's this, maybe this underlying anger that then surfaces when you were using or when you were intoxicated. And yeah, and you need to find a way to, to put the shame and the guilt aside to be able to look at yourself with empathy to work through your pain and, and hurt that you are left with because I think that if you're able to do that then you'll be able to even take responsibility in a different kind of way you'd be able to show up for yourself and for other people maybe differently but I think this this cycle of I need to remind myself how shitty I am and I need to remind myself of all of the shitty things that I've done because that's going to motivate me to be better and to not do those things again. 
is probably yeah. not a very healthy and sustainable recipe to follow. I see that. Sorry, I'm. Uh, um, I see that now. Um, I see that I need to. I, I there's a lot of work. <laughs> I need to. There's a lot of work I need to do. Um. I just. Uh, where does one start? Like, where, where do we? This was. I told my dad about tonight, tonight's session, mm -hmm. and uh, he asked me, uh, well, what is your end goal? He, my dad is a very pragmatic person. Yeah. Um, what do you hope to gain from this? And I, um, I verbatim said to him, I just want, I just want some tools. I just want uh, some uh, direction. Yeah. Um, because my son is getting older. Um, I'm getting older. And honestly, I'm lonely. Mm. I am very lonely um, because I do isolate and because I do, it's become a ghost. Uh, it's become a joke among my friends that um, I just ghost people or I just I, I don't reply for like days on end mm. because I do feel shame and I do feel sad and I do feel, and I'm fucking angry. I'm very angry because I, uh, I don't want this for myself and I think I'm angry because people are most people are always caught up with you're a drug addict you're a drug addict and I think I've proven now that I have the innate means to abstain but I don't I, I can't seem to abstain from my emotions and the way I'm feeling what do you what do you mean by needing to abstain from your emotions what would that look like um i i tend to uh fixate mm -hmm. on certain things um uh, and uh, i don't want to call it wallow but uh, i get into these uh sad ruts um Fortunately, uh, my arms are covered in tattoos now and I don't want to mess them up, but self-harm would have been like, uh, uh, like cutting would have been like, the next best thing. Because mm. um, I don't, I'm not going to, I'm not going to use again. Like I'm not, I've already lost my family. Um, I'm not going to, I'm not going to go down that path again. So I think abstaining from my emotions, if there was a way to just turn the sad and the angry off, just like turn it off. I think the the hardest the hardest thing maybe for you to hear right now is that instead of turning it off, you need to find ways to allow yourself to actually feel it. And I know that that feels overwhelming and it feels like you'll be flooded and you just want to numb that. But I think there's ways for you to also do that very gently. And I think you need to remind yourself that this is a, a long-term process of you healing these wounds over probably the rest of the course of your life. And so it's not about healing everything now. It's not about saying I need to just 
switch like and and be a different person because you're not you're not able to do that I think it's about you reconnecting actually with yourself and maybe changing how you are interacting with yourself and not feeling like you have to to just shut everything off but allowing yourself to feel more connected to the world and your inner world would probably be very meaningful for you and as I said earlier, I think my recommendation would be that you do when and if it's available to you, that you actually consider engaging in a, in a longer-term therapy process, not just when you are in a crisis, so that mm-hmm. someone can help you to work through some of these things. But until or when you get there, I think it would be really helpful for you to just start having empathy with yourself. And that's not giving yourself an art to say, oh, well... I'm feeling sorry for myself so I can just use again or I can just I can just do whatever I want to I don't have to say sorry but if you are doing that with compassion and kindness towards yourself I think that whole process would be not harming you even more whereas if you are trying to make amends and trying to do things differently but you're doing that with this mindset of like I fucked up and I need to be better and I, I'm not allowed to make any mistake. And like this, these are parts of me that's unacceptable. That will, that will stay the, the narrative or the narrative, the narrative will remain that I'm not good or I'm not worthy. And that's something okay. that you have to do over and over and over again. It's not a, one-time deal necessarily I wonder if it could help to almost think of how you would speak to your son and how you would talk to him about his pain and hurt should he ever experience any any of what you've experienced because I'm I'm very sure it's probably very different to how you've been treating yourself yes 100 percent 100 percent um, uh, I um, I I if you put it like that, I'm quite hard, uh, almost militant with myself. Um, but with him, he's so fragile. He's so small, um, and he's so like good. Uh, I just I'm very gentle with him. very gentle and that also exists within yourself there's also a very fragile little boy inside of you or a part of you that's that's fragile and that needs a lot of care a lot of kindness and a lot of acknowledgement probably so I know the question remains like but how do I do this um and I you mentioned that music is a way for you to to cope. I wonder if maybe journaling or writing like almost letters to yourself might be a useful way to just almost kickstart the conversation with yourself. But whenever that conversation, conversation becomes critical or whenever that becomes more of a like 
I need to show you how bad you are, then then that's not useful anymore. And that's maybe where it helps to just have someone objective to to highlight to you when you are doing that. Um, okay. There's I'm also a lot of pod, there's a lot of podcasts and stuff, and and I'll see what I can find, and I can maybe share that with you. I I find it very helpful to listen to other people speak about, especially trauma. Um, I think it would be helpful for you to gain a better understanding of trauma, um, and and see where that like how that maybe cultivates or how there's a, a bit of empathy and understanding for yourself that you might find that could actually be useful. I would I would love it if you could share some of that stuff with me and. Um... I don't know if I made it this clear enough. Um, like I am, I am more than willing to like take whatever help I can get with two hands. Um, okay. because I know I I can see, and that I'm struggling, and it's starting to affect the people around me, mm-hmm. the few people that are left, and uh, it's affecting my relationship with my ex, which is in turn affecting my relationship with my son. Yes. Yeah. And he's ultimately the end goal, right? Like I, I don't want to leave him with any scars. But you are it's... also ultimately the end goal. I think yeah, it's great yeah, yeah. that he is the end goal for you. But as much as you don't want to leave him with scars, I think you also you want to find the the courage and the the motivation somehow to say i don't want to i deserve to not sit with all of these wounds that's never healed and that's also more than enough reason to be attending to this thank you for listening i want to take a few moments to share some of my thoughts that i have about this discussion I'm reminded about how important our relationship with ourselves is. I truly believe that it is essential for us to be able to develop empathy and understanding with ourselves in order to be able to truly heal and to do things differently moving forward. But that can be so hard, especially if we are used to motivating ourselves and holding ourselves responsible by being critical. This is also a reminder of the massive impact that our environment has on us in terms of the beliefs that we develop about ourselves and what we carry with us for the rest of our lives. It is very common for children and adults with ADHD to self-medicate with substances and I really think that this is partially because we often don't take the time to understand how this individual's brains got to function the way that it does. We just assume that it is just purely biological and that it's just in the brain. There's no way around emotions only learning how to get through them without harming yourself or others in the process. To this guest, thanks so much for sharing your story with me and with everyone who gets to listen to this. I hope that you find what you need on this journey while having more compassion and understanding with yourself. I've shared some links with him, which you can also find in the description of this episode. If you would like to be a guest on the podcast, and share your story with me and with everyone else, please complete the application form that's also linked in the description.